Hello and welcome to the Canadian Church Planting Podcast. My name is Ben Jolliffe. I am the host of the show. And today on the show we have, well, it's me. It's just me. It's me for the whole show. And I'm doing something different today and I want to know what you think about it. So I read this book called The Great Dechurching. And I basically, I created a seminar for my church about it. I haven't even done the seminar yet, but I think it's really important for church planting, kind of for church in Canada right now, even though it's an American book. I'll say lots more about it, but essentially in this podcast, I give a summary of the book and then a bunch of thoughts on how it relates to church planting why church planters should be thinking about this. And so if you don't have time to read the book, don't have time to think about it, this podcast may be a great summary. But obviously, this is a bit of a different format. No interview, no back and forth with a guest. And so I do want to know what you think about it. If you you like this, if you'd like to hear more like this, please let me know. If you hate it and be like, no, please bring back other people. I don't just want to hear you. That's fine too. Uh, So please send me an email, uh, canadianchurchplanting at gmail.com with any thoughts. And uh, we'll get on to the show here in a second. But before we do, uh, this podcast is brought to you by the Grace Network. The Grace Network is a church planting network in Canada. You can find out more at gracenetwork.ca. But we help renew churches. We help revitalize churches. We help churches multiply. We help potential church planters get assessed and trained. We do lots of different things. And so we'd love to either have you on board, love you for you to donate, love for you if you're a potential church planter to let us know that you are interested. Anyways, you can find out more, get in touch with us at Canadian, or not Canadian, at gracenetwork.ca. You can go there and, um, and contact us through that. But for now, on to the show. All right, I wanted to do a different kind of episode today because I read a book recently called The Great Dechurching. And I think it's really important. I think it's really important for the church at large, but I do think it has some really interesting implications and applications for church planting because I I think when you plant a church, you often deal with people who are on their way into or on their way out of the church. And so that's a lot of new Christians, which the great de-churching doesn't exactly apply to maybe in some ways, but also some people who... They come to your church because they are tired or frustrated with the church as it is. And this is their one last shot. <laughs> They're their one chance to say, you know, am I going to stick around the church? And so I think the phenomenon, this great dechurching, has a lot to say. And so what I want to do today is I actually want to just give you a summary of the book. Um, I, I, I built a seminar for our church because uh, I, I wanted to teach it to them and think about it with them. And so I wanted to walk you through it via podcast and and chat about it and chat about what, what we learned from this book and the implications for church planting. So the book, I'll put a link in the description. It's called The Great Dechurching. It's by Jim Davis, Michael Graham, Ryan P. Burge. And the first thing I want to say about it is it is all American research. And so as a Canadian listener, as a Canadian reader, there are are points at which you're not going to get it or it's not going to make sense or or I'm going to say this doesn't exactly fit our context. And so you'll see as we get into this, when he talks about these five different groups of people who are leaving, that there are definitely going to be some differences between Canadian and American stuff. I don't have Canadian data, but I will give you my Canadian opinion on each of these groups. And so again, it's, it's very much anecdotal from where I sit in Ontario, in Ottawa, but uh, I'll do my best. Okay. So the, the book kind of has like three major parts. There's sort of like a what is happening in general part. The, the whole middle section is who is leaving and why. And they kind of segment them into these, these, these groups, which I'll explain. And they also talk about will they come back. So in each group, 
there's sort of a different perspective on what might help them come back. And then there's a whole third section to the book. And this is one of the reasons I really liked it is because the whole third section is called engaging the de-churched and, and what the church ought to do in response. And it's very pastoral. It's very, very kind of warm and friendly. And you can tell this book is not written purely by academics, but by pastors who are trying to figure these things out on the ground. Okay. So first, what is happening? So right in the introduction, it hooks you right away on page XX. So not even on the, the real pages yet, but it says this, when it came to de-churching, I was talking about the audience. It's in the middle of a presentation. I was talking about this audience as friends, children, and grandchildren. And I think this is really important that when we think about those people who are leaving the church, we're not just talking about random people. Nearly always we're talking about friends, children, and grandchildren. And it's very personal. It's a very personal thing. Uh, their thesis of the book, they say they, uh, that we are in the middle of the largest and fastest religious shift in the history of America. Uh, that's their thesis. And they kind of cite this stat. About 15% of American adults have effectively stopped going to church in the last 25 years. And it includes every theological tradition, every age group, every ethnicity, every political affiliation, every education level, every geographic location, every income bracket. All of them are experiencing de-churching. Every possible category of person is leaving the church. And they cite this, uh, this crazy stat. Uh, I have it here somewhere. Oh, yeah. More people have left the church in the last 25 years in America than all the new people who became Christians from the First Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, and the Billy Graham Crusades combined. Now, that is partially, I think, in due to, you know, population growth in, in the first Great Awakening, second Great Awakening, or quite a while ago. But it's, it's still shocking. It's a tremendous amount of people who are walking away from the church. A couple more stats to throw at you in general. Between the 70s, 1970s and 1990s, the share of Americans with no religious affiliation had only risen two points. From that point on, the nuns, so no religious affiliation, the nuns would grow by a percentage or two every year for the following three decades. It's, it's a massive shift. It's, it's slow and steady, but it's like a tidal wave. Um, they say this, uh, anecdotally, we know of almost no parents over the age of 50 who don't have at least one adult child who is de-churched. So they kind of, they kind of speak personally on this, that just it's, it's a generational thing partially. We'll get into that a little bit. And then one other thing they say, uh, de-churching will hit smaller churches proportionally much harder, and we will likely see more consolidation of churches. Now, the reason they say that is just that if you have 70 people and you lose 20, in some ways it's much harder to be a church of 50 than if you're a church of 400 and lose 75 or lose 100 people. You can still be a church of 300. Um, but because the average church size is already so small, uh, they, they think, they argue, de-churching is going to hit smaller churches proportionally much harder. Um, so they have a couple great stats in here. I'll, I'll link uh, in, again in the show notes. I built a slideshow and you can see some of the charts in here. I really just took photographs of the book. You can see them uh, in, in, in the book in much, much harder. Uh, but they have this great one, the religious affiliation of 18 to 35 year olds, um, how Christian basically went in the late 70s from, you know, over 80% to now just sort of 55% or something. It's dropped about 30%. And there's almost... Um, 
the, the rise of nuns is almost equally the same. Uh, like it kind of, it kind of mirrors most of the Christians are not becoming other religions. Uh, mostly it's converting to nuns. Very interesting chart. They have another one again, just kind of really caught my eye. It's figure 1.2 in the book. If, if you want to go look it up, what year did you last attend a congregation at least a few times? And if you look in like the 1950s and 1970s, it's just, uh, it's just a few people or whatever. And then there's these massive spikes as you get into the 2000s, just basically showing there are greater and greater groups of people who are just simply not attending a congregation um, anymore. Okay, so that's like in general what's happening. So massive amounts of people are de-churching and, and it's... In some ways, it's leveling off a little bit, but they say just mostly because um, you're going to run out of people to de-church, and at some point you'll be left with a faithful remnant of some kind. But that is, um, that's kind of what's happening in general. But what you're probably more interested in, and what really caught my eye, is when we get to the who is leaving and why. And one of the things they say, and this is very important, they say not all de-churched people are the same. In fact, they, they vary quite widely. And... And I think as a pastor, at least as a church planter, it's easy to lump them all into similar categories and say, well, everyone who leaves church, they do because they're, I don't know, because they've gone liberal in their faith or because they uh, had a bad experience with a pastor or because of this or because of that. Or, you know, there's lots of reasons we ascribe to it, but they, they do a great job. And the third author on this book, Ryan Burge, is actually a sociologist, and he actually kind of helps dissect the data to show not everyone is leaving for the same reasons. Okay, so the, so I'll give you the groups now. Let me let me walk you through this. Group number one is what they called cultural Christians. It's by far the largest group. It's about half of all de-churched, uh, you know, in their study. Um, and a couple things about them: their attitude towards Jesus and the church uh, tends to be pretty apathetic, uh, like you know, not not that excited, uh, but have a bit of nostalgia. Maybe they miss uh, the church of their youth. Uh, doctrinally speaking, they're very weak. They use kind of the Nicene Creed as a way to evaluate uh, people's sort of uh, doctrinal, you know, fidelity to historic Christianity. Um, they do not show much evidence of being particularly Christian in belief. Like they're more generically religious. For instance, in this cultural Christian group, only 1% believe Jesus is the son of God, you know, kind of a, a major tenet of Christianity. They tended to be most religious during their mid to late 20s. They tend to be politically center left. They tend to be Caucasian and they tend to have higher in income and education levels. And so if you think about it's it feels a little bit like the traditional picture of American Christianity, maybe particularly in the South, like this this feels like what I perceive. Oh, a bunch of people who attend church for cultural reasons but aren't, you know, Christian in, in, in any sort of way or whatever. But anyways, uh, they cite, they, they do this great study. If you don't want to look in the book, figure 3.2, reasons for not attending church. Uh, the main reasons tend to be social and experiential. So the top reason cited was my friends were not attending. The reason they left their church is because their friends were no longer attending. The second reason tied for the, tied for the top at 18% of respondents cited this. Attending was simply inconvenient. Okay, and so uh, there was a lot of things about uh, about just why they left, but they tend to be somewhat casually de-churched. That church just ceased to be a priority amid all the other things in life. They had a lot of stuff going on. Maybe their kids got into sports. You know, a lot of different things happened. Um, but they tend to be casually de-churched. They didn't leave because a pastor you know, sinned against them. They didn't leave because of, um, or, you know, the majority didn't leave for, for some of these more controversial reasons, even that their theology changed. They tended to leave 
simply because um, sort of some sort of social or experiential reason. Now, I, on a much more hopeful note, uh, they kind of have this this section in each of in each of these chapters about will they return. More than fifty percent of cultural Christians say they would return to an evangelical church, whereas only three percent say that they would never return. So basically, the authors argue, because these people tend to leave for social and experiential reasons, it's likely that the same sorts of reasons might cause them to return. So uh, having friends at church, being invited to church, relational connectivity related to church, um, a lot, a lot of cultural Christians tend to indicate their openness to return. And maybe some of you listeners aren't even in an evangelical church, that's fine. They might even be more open to attending your church, but even if you are in a more conservative, evangelical-ish setting, um, these folks would try it out. And so with cultural Christians, if you know some of these folks that kind of fit this demographic, they need authentic friendship. They need sincere community. And when they return to your church, um, they need discipleship with serious substance, okay? The doctrinal responses of cultural Christians indicate a, a lack of really any kind of discipleship, but but consistent and somewhat deep, somewhat biblical discipleship. And so that's what, that's what you're looking to provide, you know, for lack of a better word, for cultural Christians. Now, a, a, a quick Canadian perspective on cultural Christians. I think this group is, is way, way smaller in Canada than 50%, because I think this shift, all the cultural Christians leaving mainly the evangelical church in Canada, I think this mostly happened half a generation ago. There is way, way less pressure to be a cultural Christian in Canada because, you know, we're in the single digits of response or whatever. Um, Mainly, if you find these people, they would tend to be older and Caucasian. Or the other group I've seen this in, and again, listeners, you can correct me on this, but some first generation immigrants who come from mainly Christian countries... I think you see this in. So uh, some Korean immigrants, maybe some African, some certain African nations, you might see this, that they were, they were, they were Christians culturally, but they never had that deep or that robust of a faith. Um, and they, they leave church for these cultural reasons. Okay, so that's group number one, cultural Christians. Group number two is what the authors call mainstream evangelicals, mainstream evangelicals. So uh, a few things about this group. They have a very, very high orthodoxy score. Um, they very much resemble on, on their theological beliefs an average churchgoer. They are slightly younger than the average person who attends an evangelical church. They tend to be politically conservative. They tend to have a very favorable view of evangelicals, you know, which not always the case. They have better mental health than church-going evangelicals. Basically, and better mental health really signals, the authors say, uh, pretty healthy marriages, good jobs, still relatively young, no negative church experience, um, generally high education levels and stuff like that. Why did mainstream evangelicals leave? They left... They tended to leave because of a transition in their life. By far the biggest reason cited for why a mainstream evangelical left is because they moved to a new community. They moved to a new community. And so if you think of COVID, um, the, the, the sort of the changing attendance patterns, but also how many people moved, um, something got these folks who are just sort of you know middle of the road evangelicals, something got them out of the habit and they haven't come back. And actually, the fourth most popular reason is COVID-19 got me out of the habit. It's literally, it's literally uh, something shifted me during COVID, and, and that's the reasons um, that they left. But other reasons, attending was inconvenient, uh, a family change, divorce, I didn't fit in with the congregation, you know, stuff like this. But moving to a new community in COVID-19, if you stack up those two reasons, that explains a lot of it. Now, 
will these people return? Very, very hopefully. It's going to get less hopeful later, but very, very hopefully, 100% would be willing to return. Every evangelical who went through this, who has de-churched, these aren't people who go to church, people not currently attending indicated they would be willing, they would consider returning. And um, now, now, why would they return? Top reason cited was new friends. Um, and so basically, again, there's like this very social uh, social on-ramp back to church, whether they are looking for a spouse or looking for a friends or feeling lonely in their life. Um, all of these things are cited as a reason they'd go back. Um, they also said they, there's a, a few like church reasons they would go back if they felt like they were missing church, if they felt like they, they knew or met a good pastor. Um, actually, one of the top reasons cited, which feels like a hilariously evangelical reason, but if God tells me to go back, <laughs> if so God really speaks to me out of the blue and tells me to go back, they'd be willing to go back. Um, but these people would be willing to return. And, um, and so that leads me to like sort of a Canadian perspective. This, this is definitely a group in Canada. This has been a group uh, in my own church that I've seen without, without naming any names, citing anything, that COVID was a major factor. Even some of the folks that we've had from our church who've moved to other places, many of them have struggled to integrate with a new church. Sometimes it's just finding one that's you know very similar to the one you left, or maybe they're looking for one very different from the one they left. I, I'm not sure. But that COVID was a major factor. People moving was a major factor. Um and so, so definitely see this group in Canada. This is probably one of the larger groups that their orthodoxy doctrine hasn't changed, but some, some social moving reason kind of nudge them out. Um, but the authors highlight, and I think this is true for us, the major worry here is that even though this group says, yep, I would think about going back, um, long-term absences from church probably lead to permanent changes. Not, not, not trying to... <laughs> you know, argue anything in particular, but just that uh, what we tend to do tends to become habit and, you know, a long time away from church will probably lead to permanent changes, but that's mainstream evangelicals. Okay. So we've covered honestly the, the two most hopeful groups so far, um, the cultural Christians, the mainstream evangelicals. Uh, next we go to exvangelicals. And so you maybe have heard of this, uh, this term used online. If you're on social media, particularly on uh, Twitter or X or whatever it's called, um, exvangelical just refers to a person who is in, who is no longer an evangelical. They are exvangelical. In the survey, in this book, 17% of all the de-church fit this category. So not necessarily a huge category, but still sub- substantial. Um, exvangelical, they kind of talk about the term a little bit, but they basically say it's used very widely. It can mean everything from a serious Christian takes their faith very seriously, but just they don't attend a, an evangelical church anymore. It can mean that. It can also mean someone who's, uh, you know, jettisoned Christianity altogether. Like they're they're essentially not a Christian anymore. And very interestingly, online exvangelicals do not represent the norm. So what what the what this study found in terms of demographically, what does this group look like? It does not resemble. Um, uh, what you, what you tend to see again on Twitter or whatever. So here's, here's what we see. It's 65% female. So majority female, they have the lowest income and education of all de churching groups. They have the lowest rate of marriage, the highest rates of divorce, highest rates of singleness, highest rates of widow or widowerhood. The majority of this group do actually not work full time. And, and so it's not, uh, a hip, young, educated, you know, married person. It tends to be quite female 
you know, uh, high rates of divorce, low rates of marriage, low rates of, of work, low rates of uh, education, all those kinds of things. That tends to be the people who are saying, I'm, I'm done with evangelicalism. There's also um, something else to highlight, and, and the authors bring this up in quite a, quite a moving way. This group has extremely poor mental health. Um, they, they, they ask this question, how would you score your well-being on suicidal ideation, like suicidal thoughts, with zero being, being very negative and 100 being very positive? And um, this group averaged 16. So 16, basically, on, on, the, on the quite negative end. And so they're not doing well. If, if you know a person who has, who has left evangelicalism in this, it's extremely high likelihood that they are, they are really struggling. One other interesting sort of demographic thing is that they, they asked this question on the survey, uh, where do you look to for life's answers? And you can kind of, you know, God, church, um, you know, education, like a bunch of different things. And this group by far had the highest score. They said they look to themselves for life's answers. And so they, they essentially, partially because of divorce and education and everything else work, they feel institutionally abandoned. They feel like they can't go to any of the normal things that, that give life meaning, that, that, bring, that give answers to life. They can't go to any of these places, and so they can only sort of rely on and trust themselves. Now, why did they leave? Uh, Exvangelicals tend to de-church in their late 20s or 30s or in the empty nest phase. It's very interesting. They tend to either de-church in the 20s or 30s or the empty nest phase, which is getting a bit later, but think like late 50s and 60s. This is the only group to list lack of love and negative experiences in their top six reasons they left the church. So they, they, they basically said, I've, I've had a negative experience with the church, and that tends to be one of the major reasons they left. I didn't experience much love with the congregation. Some of the other reasons are true. Maybe they moved to a new community. Maybe they didn't feel like they fit in, uh, but they had a negative experience, and they experienced lack of love in the church. Very... Uh, soberingly, I don't know if that's a word, uh, they asked this question, will you ever return to a church? 0% indicate a willingness to return to evangelical churches. And as in church of an, or pastor of an evangelical church, that's, that's really sobering. That's very, that's very sad. One of the, one of the hopeful things is that there are churches <laughs> outside of evangelicalism, or at least that definitely kind of fit better in other streams. And perhaps these churches will be better at, at reaching these folks. But if you are an evangelical pastor, if you attend an evangelical church, what should you do with this? Um, we have to learn, we have to listen, and we have to learn the hard lessons of why people became ex-evangelicals in the first place, that we probably had something to do with it. Our churches probably had something to do with it, and there are hard lessons to be learned here. Now, a bit of a Canadian perspective. In, in again, in my very limited perspective, I think this is actually one of the most common reasons people have left. Um, I suspect a much higher percentage of de-churchers in Canada fit this group that they say, not only am I, and not only am I uh, done with your church, I'm just done with church in general. I'm done with all evangelical churches, um, emotionally dealing with some of these folks, trying to, trying to come alongside them in, in, in their sort of de-churching process is perplexing and discouraging. Um, but uh, you know, it was under 20% in, in the study. I, I bet it's way higher. In, in Canadian church settings. Um, and uh, it's very sad. This, you know, reading this chapter is like, it's kind of tough. It's kind of tough. Okay, group number four, 
uh, is uh, basically BIPOC, what they call Black, Indigenous, and People of Color. Um, this tend to, this this group is 14% of all de-churchers. As you might guess, it's 100% non-Caucasian. Uh, interestingly, they tend to be extremely, or not, not extremely, very highly educated, affluent. They have attended an evangelical church in the past. This group skews highly male, 68%. They have the highest education, highest income, nearly all married and identify as, or you are heterosexual. And so this group is not exactly what you think. Um, They're ideologically and culturally complex because essentially this group, they identify as a minority, black, indigenous, people of color, but they want to succeed in the in the wider culture, which tends to be somewhat Caucasian, um, but they don't fully identify with either. They don't fit into right, left politically. They're kind of stuck between worlds a little bit. And the reason, the main reason that this group left the, an evangelical church is because they struggled to fit in or belong. And if you just think about the two worlds that these folks are inhabiting, the way that they're trying to sort of straddle you know, different identities, different things that, that, that mean a lot to them. Um, they, 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 that's the reason they struggle to fit in and belong to the church. Another really interesting thing is that parents play a more negative role for this group than any other. So the reasons they left church had a lot to do with their parents. And again, if you imagine sort of cultural divides, particularly with immigrants, um, you know, kind of wrestling with who they are and what their parents are and that they're, they're not, you know, they don't fit exactly right. Um, but this sort of struggle to fit in um, tend to tend to be one of the main thing. Uh, will they return? 65%, so pretty healthy number, indicate a willingness to return. Only 5% say, I'm never going back. By far, again, by substantial margin, friends are the largest. And so they would go to an evangelical church where they could make new friends or they have new friends attending. Yeah, like essentially the top two reasons are new friends and they've moved and they want to make new friends. And the third reason is they're lonely and they want to make new friends. And so you can just see that friends uh, or some relationship to friendship is is the major re- major reasons. Now, what we what the authors say here is that if you are part of a majority church, if you're part of a church that's majority Caucasian mainly, but majority anything, um, you need a lot of cultural competency. So there's a, there's a lot of things to understand about a person's experience um, if they've grown up in a minority culture and are kind of joining a majority culture church. There's a lot of cultural competency, listening, good question asking that needs to be done. And if you are a parent of one of of one of these folks. Um, there's a, there's also a lot of effort needed there to understand this person's world, how it differs from your own, you know, what will be helpful to them uh, because parents play a major, major role uh, with, with this BIPOC group. Um, a bit of a Canadian perspective here. So we, we don't have the exact same racial cultural tensions uh, as, Amer- as America. We don't have much, uh, a few here and there, but a much of a traditionally black church. Uh, so some of these things don't apply in the same way. But I think a lot of a lot of what I've seen, again, from my perspective, it probably applies a lot more in the case of immigrants and other minority minority cultures as the, the second generation, the third generations feel this tension of multiple identities. In a church like mine, with limited cultural background, particularly in its leadership, uh, we're a little more diverse as a congregation, but not necessarily in our leadership. We have to work hard at understanding these different tensions because as a leader, as, as a Caucasian leader, as someone who grew up in evangelicalism, there, there's tensions that I don't feel that others are, are, are surely feeling. Okay, fifth group, mainline Protestants and Catholics. Um, 
now, so yeah, mainline Protestants and Catholics, so not evangelicals, but more uh, mainline people. Uh, according to the study, this is the largest group in the Northeast USA. So if you're like me and in Ontario, um, this is going to bleed over into our context too. It's the largest group in the Northeast. Um, they have the lowest view of the Bible of any group. Uh, they have very correspondingly low beliefs in historic Christian doctrine. Um, there's nothing really unique about why they left. <laughs> they kind of have, they cite all these reasons um, that kind of like balance each other out. Um, like, it, like there's not one reason. There's, there's sort of a lot of different reasons. They moved to a new community. They didn't fit in. They had other priorities, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so I don't actually have too much to say uh, about them. They often de-churched in their early 30s. They tend to be older now. Uh, they tend to be in their 50s. Um, these, these folks will be fairly difficult to minister to if you are in an evangelical setting because these people haven't come from it. They come from very different, usually, uh, you know, these more liturgical, more sort of high church settings. Um, not, not saying you shouldn't. That's why I'm saying you shouldn't make an effort. Uh, but uh, these folks uh, will, be, will be definitely tricky to minister to. Okay, so those are the five groups. And uh, I'm going to include in the... Um, in the slideshow, that's it. In the slideshow, a number of questions that you can ask yourself. You can think about what what have you seen, what have you noticed in your church context, or if you are a church planter, just meeting people. Uh, what kind of people do you tend to meet? Um, you know where you are. If you're, um, you know, like like Colton, who we interviewed in PEI, what kind of people is he meeting on PEI? What kind of people are you meeting in a big city? Um, you know, in Vancouver or whatever. It's uh, it's worth thinking about. The third part of the book, though, is what they call engaging the de-churched. And that's what I want to turn to now, engaging the de-churched. And, and first, they kind of give a couple reasons to hope. And, and the first reason they give to hope is kind of an interesting one. I don't know if I would have thought of this. They said, most of the de-church are reasonably orthodox. And so most people who walk away from church doesn't tend to be because of their theology. There are definitely some. You'll meet some, and maybe more in Canada than these folks met in the U.S., but a lot of people who've de-churched um, are, still, are still orthodox, and they actually call the authors, are like, it was really disorienting. It was, it was, really, it was really like kind of weird like, to meet these people and be like, oh, they actually still kind of believe the same things. They just don't go to church anymore. Um, and the other reason for hope is that belonging across all the five groups, belonging is the primary pain point many de-churched people feel. But the good news about that is it's actually quite addressable. Um, it's, it's quite addressable because um, you can just invite people. <laughs> and, and actually, page 123, they have this great quote where they're like, invite your de-churched friends back to a healthy church with you, but, do more, or, but we would do well to open the doors to our homes and chairs at our table, invite them into our lives, which ought to include the church. Because belonging is this primary pain point, that is something that actually you can address. And, um, and I really liked like, that, that point. That, and if you are in a church planting situation trying to figure these things out, um, you can know that a lot of the people you meet may be open to attending your church, or may be open to trying it out. And you know, the, the sort of genius of church planting is it forces you to, to try to grow because you're like, well, if we don't grow, you know, we're not going to survive. Uh, we need to have at least have a few folks here. And there's power in simple invitations into your lives, into your dinner, at, you know, in, in, at your dinner tables and at your church. Um, if belonging is the primary pain point, it's actually somewhat addressable. 
Um, they offer a step you can take for if you have people in your church who are de-churching, who are kind of going through a crisis, a struggle of faith. And what they recommend is what they call a quiet, calm curiosity, a quiet, calm curiosity. And so just avoiding defensiveness. Often when people begin to talk about the problems they are having, you know, you might feel this desire to defend God or the church, to, to justify past decisions, to excuse past behaviors, to say, oh, not all churches, not all Christians are like that. Um, also, sometimes when people begin to express doubts or, or confusion or angst or whatever, we get very anxious. We get very stressful. We get, oh, no, are you going to are you going to leave? Are you going to not be a Christian anymore? And and what the authors recommend, and I think it kind of makes sense to us, you know, intuitively, is that what we're looking for is a quiet, calm curiosity with those folks who are leaving. A couple other practical things that they suggest, something that they, they really think about is what they call the generational handoff. A lot of the difficult transitions happen um, for youth and happen for young adults. And they have this great figure, figure 10.2. I don't have the page written down where it comes from. Figure 10.2, it's in the chapter called Generational Handoff. But they, they show a, a chart of when people tend to leave the church, most difficult transitions in maintaining faith. And, um, and they kind of do it for all the different groups, you know, ex-evangelicals, cultural, uh, evangelical, cultural Christians and so on. And there's just like these sort of giant, giant, uh, gra- giant bar, bar lines between 13 and 17 and between 18 and 25. And essentially if someone is a Christian and attending church beyond 25, there's actually quite a strong likelihood that they stay mainstream evangelicals being a little bit accepted from, or, you know, accepted from that. But basically, uh, we have to do a lot of thinking about the generational handoff, about what, what youth ministry looks like, what young adult ministry looks like. Uh, and the, the authors make the point, we can't simply assume that if we do what our parents did, that there won't be any problems. I mean, our, our kids are just growing up in a very different world. There are way more options for belief. There's way less social reinforcement. There's a lot of other things that happen on Sunday, et cetera, et cetera. Most of us, most of us and I'm, I'm 40, most of us grew up in an evangelical world. It does not exist anymore. And we can't assume that doing the same things our parents did will be enough. So generational handoff, we have to think about that if we we're going to take steps to address this uh, this, uh, the, the great de-churching. Uh, a couple other things. Uh, he has this, they, there's this uh, chapter about confessional versus missional churches. And they have this like funny thing that they talk about solid rock confessional church versus grace missional church. And they basically talk about um, how, look, you're, you're always trying to do both. You can't do both perfectly, but most churches tend to embrace one of these things at the expense of the other. And according to the, the sociological work they've done, that leads to people leaving. So if you're only confessional, if you're very much, we are a faithful church, we are standing on the Bible, you know, the culture's out to get us, we are we are defending our territory against them. Uh, if, if you have that approach, or if you're missional, and it's like, it's all about loving your neighbors, um, Basically, th- this chapter is really great because they're like, oh, if you if you lean more confessionally, here are some questions to ask yourself. And they don't really critique it because there's something beautiful about a confessional church that takes the Bible and God and theology very seriously. But they talk about, does your content intersect your context? Does, does, does what you are saying matter to anyone where you live? Are you listening as much as you are speaking? Confessional churches tend to talk a lot and not listen a lot. 
And then missional churches, if, you, if you've kind of found yourself more on that end, are you letting go of important doctrines to accommodate changing culture? Are you deprioritizing, you know, teaching and discipleship? There's, there's a number of questions that they, that, that, that missional churches ought to ask themselves. Again, these are in the, in the slides and you can go and um, read that in whichever kind of end of the spectrum you land on. Um, there's, uh, there's some helpful questions to ask yourself. There's also a great section called Messages for the De-Churched. If you have a, a de-churched person in your life, that's a great little chapter to hand them. Um, I'm not going to cover it here because it's not kind of in the in the scope of what I want to say. But at the very end, they kind of have like a lessons for the church, five exhortations for church leaders. And, and I'll, I'll kind of share these as we finish up. So the first one is don't be surprised when people fall away. They go through the parable of the good seed and the weeds, you know, that kind of grew up together, the parable of Jesus. And But just basically don't be surprised um, it's going to happen. It's going to, if it hasn't happened yet, if you're a tiny church plant and everything's great so far, you know, it's really only a matter of time. Uh, the second exhortation is extreme responses to those who are de-churching are not helpful or productive. So either becoming super controlling or not caring at all, or just uh, becoming very stressed and anxious or, or treating it as nothing, you know, extreme responses to de-churching are not helpful or productive. Uh, third exhortation, patience needs to be cultivated. Uh, most of these, the de-churching process and, and those who return, uh, that tends to take a lot of time trying to rush the process isn't going to be helpful. For, uh, fourth exhortation, they say, shepherd your flock. You should know them, pursue them, embrace kind of who and what they are. Don't wish for a different church. Just these are the people God has given you if you're a pastor and you just shepherd them. And the fifth exhortation is to equip the saints. Essentially, don't abandon robust discipleship. Uh, you've got to go hard with who you have, do the best you can. Um, and that's what they kind of recommend at the end. Uh, I hope this was really helpful. Uh, this again, like I said at the beginning, this phenomenon, I think has really affected the Canadian church. I think we ought to take it seriously. And I hope this little book summary, uh, if you didn't, if you don't have time to read it, this will be good. We'll include links to the slideshow. I'm, I have some discussion questions that I have for my church. I'm going to do this seminar at my church. Um, and that we're going to kind of talk about. And so if you want to take these to people in your context or text a pastor friend, you know, if, if you're a pastor, um, but, um, yeah, let me know if you like this format too. You can send an email to canadianchurchplanting at gmail.com. I'd love to know if you appreciate this. I have a couple other books I really like that I've considered doing something like this for, but haven't pulled the trigger yet. This is my first attempt, my first foray at it. I'd love to hear your thoughts, send them over. Uh, but for, for now, we'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch with us, with me, you can email me at canadianchurchplanting at gmail.com, canadianchurchplanting at gmail.com. We will talk to you soon.